Philippians chapter 4. I know in the last uh, three Sundays, uh, we have been talking about uh, God's truth in the book of Philippi. And we have garnered lots of them. And even if you uh, go in your own time and study the book, there, there are more things that you can really garner and apply them in your own lives. One thing that uh, I have uh, not only understood, but uh, able to admire, may the way Paul is relating to the Philippians particularly, Paul was open to them, he was transparent to them, Paul also was not only just open, but was able to live with them and know how they felt also. That's why if we go to the first verse of the chapter, this is what Paul is saying. Therefore, when he started with therefore, he may be talking about what he took in chapter 3, but at the same time, we can look at it as also, in a way, closing the book and telling us how what he has taught in the first three chapters be practical in your life and my life. He said, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Now, I love the way he introduced this. My brothers, whom I love and long for. Now, it's been 10 years since he was in Philippi during his second uh, missionary journey. And he's in jail at this point. And so he hasn't really been in contact with them for a while. And it's good that Ephraim came to see him and also show the expression of love of the Christians in Philippi by giving him the gift. But at the same time, Paul said, I long for. Now that's how he looked at the Philippian Christians. He wanted to see them, but he didn't have the opportunity, but he still wanted to see them whenever the Lord will release him from jail. But he said, you're my joy. No, Paul started the ministry in Philippi with the women. Remember that he went to the river and saw Lydia and other women. And that's how the ministry started. Then he was in jail. And the Philippian jailer came to know the Lord Jesus Christ with his family. So Paul is looking at them that because of their lives, you know, Paul find not only meaning in his ministry, but he know that the Lord has been working through him. And he said that they are his crown. Now Paul is looking forward that one day when he will be before the Lord, he will be able to see the Philippian Christians with him, with the Lord, knowing that they came to know him through his life. 
And it's a challenge for all of us to share the gospel and be a part of that individual's life and help them grow and see them grow. And not only that, and see them being fruitful in their own lives and they begin also to share the gospel to other people. But then he said, stand firm thus in the Lord. And this is uh, the theme that he has in the book of Philippi, of the Philippians. Stand fast in the Lord. Being in Christ, we must stand fast in him. Be even steady in our walk with him closely and constantly to the end. To stand fast in the Lord is to stand fast in his strength and by his grace not trusting in ourselves and disclaiming any sufficiency of our own. The question we need to face today or this afternoon is how can this be true that we can stand fast in the Lord? What can help us to steadily walk with our God I hope and pray that studying the chapter 4 will give us a clear guidance for us to follow. Number one, how we can steadfast in our walk with the Lord. This is from verse 2 to 7. Steadfastness in our walk with God is by maintaining godly attitudes. He wants us to seek peace and harmony in the unity of the believers. No, it is true that the Philippians had special love bound with Paul. It is true that they alone had shared with him in the middle of his needs. It is true that he had a love for them that maybe surpassed some others, a bond that has perhaps unique and had been cultivated through the years mutually. It is true that he had a passionate longing to fellowship with them. But that does not mean that the Philippian church was in all respect everything it ought to be. And that does not mean that there, were, there was no instability with them. Now we can note in the book that there was some selfishness in the church there was self-interest in the church. There were people who had stumbled and fallen into spiritual stability into conflict, pride, and were more concerned about things of their own than things of others. They did not have the mind of Christ. Uh, two women in the church, Judea and Syntyche, which have good standing in the community, they were ministering side by side with Paul and others, but they had conflicts with each other to the point that it might possibly cause some chaos, confusion, and probably division among the believers in the church. Paul admonished them to agree in the Lord. They were not having the same mind of Christ. They need to work in harmony in the Lord. They need to be reconciled to each other considering the relationship they stood in to one another and to the Lord. 
We need to embrace the same truths and profess them and maintain the same principles that brought them together. And then Paul asked another in the church to help. We don't really exactly know who that church believer or leader was, but uh, Paul and most of the versions describe him as the true yoke fellow. Now when Paul talk about the true yoke fellow, I, that reminds me of you know, in the Philippines, it's an agricultural country, we have the carabaos, and we put the yoke on its neck, and then from the yoke, the, the carabao can be guided as they plow in the field. And I know that in the Middle East, we have two uh, animals working together. And that's how I see it. The yoke fellow, you know, he's the one that worked together with Paul. He asked him to help them in resolving their differences by assisting them with good counsel and advice and giving them proper instruction in the doctrine of the gospel that they might be brought to think the same thing. Now we can go back to Philippians chapter 2, uh, 1 to 4. It says, if, therefore, if there is therefore any exhortation in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any tender mercy and compassion, Paul said, make my joy fall by being like-minded. Having the same love, being in one accord of one mind, doing nothing through rivalry or true conceit, but in humility, it's counting others better than himself. Each of you not just looking to his own thing, but each of you also to the things of others. Now this is a quote from the World English Version. I like it. And this is what Paul has in his heart, that they will be able to work together, that they will be able to think of others as more significant than them. Paul was basically asking if, if we want to live in peace and unity and in harmony together, Paul said that we need to understand what humility is. Now, many in the churches today have problems because of pride. And it causes problems in the church. I've seen not only division of the church, but the church basically sometimes was divided into two. Not because of theology, but because of personalities. Because we stop for having the same mind that Christ wanted us to have. In 1 Corinthians 10.1, it says, I, Paul, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now this is one of the most amazing things about the Lord Jesus. He, is, he was willing to take less than he was due. He was rich, but he became poor for our sake. 
The reason to express this godly attitude is because the Lord is near. Paul in chapter 2 again is reminding us that humility is a godly character that you and I should develop in ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit. Second, not only that we need and seek peace and harmony in unity, we need to cultivate the spirit of joy, of rejoicing. That is in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is a command that needs to be obeyed. Keep on rejoicing. Make a continual, habitual practice of rejoicing. It does not have anything to do with circumstances. Whatever the circumstances, rejoice in the Lord. This is the joy that is not attached to circumstances, but attached to rejoicing in the Lord. It is a surpassing, overruling joy that is not subject to difficulty. Third, we learn how to live reasonably to everyone. But I like what uh, John MacArthur used in this part. He said that we need to learn to accept this than you deserve. Now this English word being reasonable in Greek may mean generosity, magnanimity, humble willingness to be disgraced, willingness to be treated unjustly or mistreated without hatred, without bitterness, without retaliation, with self-justification, without even discontent. It is meekness and gentleness in the face of hostility. It is understood as being patient and bearing of the afflictions or the sober enjoyment of worldly good. Yes, gentleness and kindness, and that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has expressed. The reason to express this godly attitude is because, again, the Lord is near. The Lord is present. The Holy Spirit is in us. The consideration of our Lord being near and our final accounting should keep us from smiting our fellow servants, support us under present sufferings, and moderate our affections on toward outside good. Then fourth, being prayerful, Resting in confident trust in the Lord, which brings peace of God to guard us. That's verse 6 and 7. Again, going back to verse 5, it says that the Lord is near. So, do not be anxious for anything. Yes, the Lord is coming and becoming more eminent, but it conveys that the presence of the Lord is here with us. He sticks closer to us than a brother. He never will leave us nor forsake us. 
First Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties were on him because he cares for you. And the Lord in Matthew 6, 25 said, do not be anxious about your life. And Romans 8, 26 to 28 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the, in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, and for those who are called according to his purpose. Don't be anxious. When we entrust to God our worries and our anxiety by prayer, with supplication and thanksgiving, he will replace our insecurity with his peace. The peace of God will guard us from being unstable. The peace of God will bring tranquility and contentment, a consolation beyond human device, beyond human explanation, and beyond human understanding. So going back, Maintaining godly attitude is we should seek peace and harmony among ourselves. That we should cultivate the spirit of joy and rejoicing. And we have to learn to accept less than we deserve. And then being, being prayerful, resting in confident trust in the Lord which bring peace to guard every one of us. The second one is that steadfastness in our walk with God by maintaining godly thoughts. That's verse 8. And if we look at verse 8, it's something that many of us may try to find out what is really the object that will be able to describe what verse it was talking about. Steadfastness in our walk with God is attained on how we think. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. A man can be known by the thoughts he entertains and the thoughts he lives on. And out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Colossians 3.1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Sit at the right hand of God and set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We need to have that godly thinking. And many times we think about negative thoughts. That's even put us farther, farther from the Lord. He said, whatever is true, we are exerted to regard everything that is true, that is agreeable to the scriptures of truth, to the gospel, the word of truth. 
And John 17, 17 says, the word is truth. We are to dwell on the word of God, first of all, on anything that is true. Whatever is honorable, that is, what is worthy of respect, noble, dignified, reverent, lofty, but not trashy, worthy of adoration. What is just or righteous, what is in perfect harmony with the eternal and changing divine standard of the holy God that is revealed in the scriptures. What is pure, that is morally clean and undefiled. Whatever is lovely, that is winsome, pleasing, attractive, amiable, sweet, gracious, and generous. Whatever is commendable or of good repute, that is what is well, well thought of and what is highly regarded. And if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And what Paul meant is that we should meditate upon them, resolve them in our own minds, and seriously consider them and reason with ourselves about them in order that we can put them into practice. Now, while thinking and meditating in this passage, I thought, what object could be able to embody these godly thoughts or this godly thinking? One may say, maybe listening to Beethoven's symphony. It's lovely, isn't it? Or perhaps watching a Christian film, which will remind you of your own life with God. Or perhaps listening to Christian songs or Christian music, books, But when I look at it, that reminds me of Psalm 19, 7 to 11. If there's anything that is true, if there is anything that is honorable, if there is anything just right, pure and lovely and commendable, one thing that I can think of is the Word of God. And Psalm 19, 7 to 11 says, and describes that the word of God as the law of the Lord, what? Is perfect and reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The roles of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, and more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb, and moreover by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And if we go to Psalm 119, even it gives us more thoughts what the Word of God is, what it can do in your life and my life. So if we have godly attitude as the fruit of the Spirit and correct thinking from the Word of God, stability in our walk with God is ours 
especially when we obey what is written in the Word of God. We pattern our behavior after the godly attitude and the godly right thinking that we discover from the Word of God. Thirdly, steadfastness in our walk with God is by maintaining a godly conduct. That's verse 9. And this is what Paul said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, before the composition of the New Testament and its full acceptance as authoritative scripture, the standard of Christian belief and standard of Christian behavior was embodied in the teaching and the examples of the apostles. The New Testament, the 27 books, came many years later. The apostles were the persons who had the authority of Christ and who practiced the standard of Christ. And that is why Paul says, be followers of me as I am of Christ. And Christ in Matthew 11:29 said, take my yoke and learn from me. And Peter in 1 Peter 3:21 says, for to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And this is what Paul exhorted to the Philippian Christians. He said, be learners. Now, when I think about the word learners, that think that basically conveys what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner. A learner is the one who receives instruction. And Paul refers to his personal instruction of them, sometimes teaching them in a group as a normal dialogue with them and sometimes doing it one-on-one. -on -one. Paul expounded the Old Testament truths, explaining to them the meaning of the New Testament revelation which he received from God, explaining to them how to apply the truths in their own lives. He talks about receiving the message. He expounded and explained the scriptures which God gave him and he gave them. Receive the word of God with willingness to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 17, 11 says, now this Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so or were true. And Paul also encouraged him to be hearers. Paul might be alluding here not only what they heard from him, but also from others who heard him. But if we go to James 1.21, James says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The scriptures say in Romans 10.17, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
And Christ said in, seven, in Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears this word of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The parable of the sower. In Mark 4.20, Christ said, But those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hears the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. So hearing is not just enough. You learn, you receive. You hear, and Paul said, what you have seen in me. Follow my example. Paul's message to them and his conduct or demeanor with them and people outside the church are compatible and consistent with what he says and how he did things. His words and actions are all together, not contradicting against the others. In chapter 3, verse 17, Paul wrote, Brothers, join in imitating and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he said, Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. And Peter, in 1 Peter 2, 10 to 1 said, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that we might follow in his steps. Yes. Look at the examples of other Christians. Look, there's one thing that really helped me in my Christian life was because of the examples of the people that were close to me, that were my mentors. One of them told me, Joel, I want you to work with me. We'll go to Cebu and start the ministry, but I want you to live with me. And he told me that I want you to observe my life. I want you to Observe how I relate with my wife. And I want you to observe how I behave myself daily. No, that's something that is very challenging. No, he was open, and I lived with him for two years. And that was an experience. And in fact, another one, he was the one who basically helped me also a lot in my Initial, I would say, follow up with Christ while I was in college. No, chronologically, I was older than him as a Christian, but spiritually, he was older than me. That's why I was willing to be discipled by this guy because I saw him, I saw his life. And Paul said, practice these things, and then the God of peace will be with you. Paul is, is exhorting and encouraging the believers to practice the truth as a way of life. The Lord said in 
John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest, and manifest myself to him. Our transformation into his likeness is dependent on how we saturate ourselves into his word and obey them. With the help of his spirit in us, we are transformed into his likeness one level at a time. The more we stay close to his word, the more we stay, more we stay close to him, the farther we get away from sin. Not only we have the peace of God in our hearts, but we have the God of peace also in us. The next one, before the last one, that steadfastness in our walk with God is by maintaining a godly contentment and generosity. That from verse 20, uh, 10 to 20. A, contentment in Christ is not dependent on circumstances. Paul talked about contentment in the midst of persecution, being a prisoner chained to the Praetorian guards. He was able to sing with Silas in the prison cell while they were in Philippi. B, contentment in Christ is living in his strength and power and not our own. It is to this account that Paul declared, I can do all things in Christ regardless of being in want or having enough or having more than enough. He welcomed the Philippian believers' generosity not to his advantage, but to them, because they have established themselves an eternal account before the Lord. And Paul said, he seeks the fruit that increases their credit. So guys, generosity and being a part of his ministry, and that's what Paul said in chapter one, they were his partners since the time they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're generous and give yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be richly blessed. Yeah, we have an account increasing. And we'll find it out when we see the Lord. Then see, contentment in Christ is being dependent on his provision. It is our God who provides our needs, not we want. It is God who opens up the heavens to pour out his blessings upon his children who live their lives on the promises that he always keep. And D, contentment in Christ is ensuring God's blessing for his glory. And lastly, steadfastness in our walk with God is maintaining a godly relationship with God's others other children, 21 to 23. And Paul mentioned here about greetings coming from the saints in Rome, according to him, especially from the household of Caesar. So Paul was a prisoner. Guards came to know, and Paul said that 
even some in the household of Caesar came to know the Lord Jesus Christ and they're greeting you. It is always a blessing and assurance that we are not alone here in the Grace Fellowship Church. Other believers are praying and interceding for us. We are one in Christ. In John 17, 20, this is what Christ prayed. I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word, through the word of the apostles, that they may be all one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world we may, may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Yes, we are one in Christ. Isn't it nice and good? No, whenever we go, no, you say God's children, and they have already a commonality because of Christ. No, godly attitude is brought about by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Godly thoughts as brought about by the Word of God and practicing the truth as our way of life and living as one community in Christ, it will finally make steadfastness in our walk with God as a matter of living a disciplined life to be God's standard. No, I hope that even as you study, continue to study the book of Philippians, you know, you can really find something that is good for you and me, something that we can apply, something that was true them, to them then, and it's also true for all of us even now. Let's pray. Father, we know that your word is eternal. Your word never changes. And we thank you, Lord, that your word can cleanse us. But most of all, your word can transform us through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, I do pray that all of us here in Christ Fellowship Church will continue to grow and be changed from one level to another until we see you coming and be glorified and all of us will be glorified with you. And Lord, thank you again for your word is powerful. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.